Hello and welcome. You're listening to Adventures in the Veil, an RPG discussion podcast. I'm Jake. I'm Ross. Sit back and relax by the fire, for there are tales to be told. Have that right out. Right, greetings and welcome back to the Adventures in the Vale Taverncast. My name is Ross McClure, also known as Mythic Mountains. Here on the Taverncast, we talk about folk RPGs, indie RPGs, and the OSR. I'm joined today by someone most people in the OSR have heard of. Everyone in the OSR has benefited from his work. Some might say his initial work was the beginning uh, in recent times of folk RPGs entirely, helping to navigate the waters during the release of the first OGL over 20 years ago, which led to the release of the first published retroclone of the original fantasy role-playing game with Stuart Marshall, and later the definitive retroclone of original Dungeons & Dragons. Matt Finch is the owner of Mythmere Games. It's hard to cover all of Matt's contributions uh, to the hobby, uh, but just to name a few in recent times, we've got, um, in my opinion, the best-ran Kickstarters I've ever participated in with products like the Tome of Adventure design, which is useful for really any RPG or even any gameplay style, not just the OSR, uh, for the creation of adventures and also just about any genre. And then recently, we also got an updated edition of Swords and Wizardry, which is probably the best-known retroclone of original Dungeons & Dragons. And that's just to name a couple of the, the major products that have come out from Mythmere Games. Um, Matt, thanks for chatting with us. Uh, I also want to express our gratitude. My friends and I, we play Swords and Wizardry every week. In fact, we just played last night, so it's brought us hundreds of hours probably of, of joy and fun so well thank you for having me on the show i'm i'm glad to hear that uh you know that you guys are playing and enjoying swords and wizardry and that's you know always the the best thing that you can hear from out there yeah yeah and it's it's hard to um to have you on and not want to talk about the products uh specifically but but the reason i wanted to speak with you is something that we have a passion about in our play club. We have an online play club. It's called Mythic Mountains RPG. We focus on what we would call folk RPGs, uh, which um, it's hard to condense a definition of easily, but uh, essentially, uh, it's a you know we would say RPGs that the the fan community drives and uh, the table is kind of the locus of authority instead of a brand holder. Um, yeah, and... absolutely. No, that makes a that makes a lot of sense out there. I mean, we've seen, um, you know, sort of. I, I I usually call that cottage industry publishing when I'm talking about oh, the nice. you know the di the DIY uh, you know gamers who are putting stuff out you know mostly for free. Um, you know the the online communities that are out there, and I think they're absolutely. I think you put your finger on it. There's there is a uh, a grassroots gaming um, 
I wouldn't really call it a movement because it's not a movement, but, you know, lots and lots of little movements. But, you know, there, there's definitely a grassroots aspect to the hobby that's very, very different from the um, the goals and the types of products that publishers come out with. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one of the things that we kind of uh, focus on or are really passionate about is how do you bridge that gap because there I, I think there is a gap because um when i um started to regularly play dungeons and dragons in particular i think the first game i played was gurps and my game master was into kind of more indie games and stuff but i i was i was fascinated by dungeons and dragons i wanted to try it so i had never heard of swords and wizardry and th this was in 20 15. So uh, here I am, 2015. I want to play Dungeons and Dragons. If someone had told me then and had helped me uh, start playing something like White Box or Swords and Wizardry or Old School Essentials, I would have had the D&D I wanted then that would have conveyed my idea of D&D and the fun that I wanted to have. But I ended up kind of on this long, uh, circuitous journey through Dungeons and Dragons. Fifth edition, some of it brought me a lot of joy, some of it brought me a lot of frustration, and it took me uh, f six years of being in the 5e ecosystem to even hear about Swords and Wizardry. But then even beyond that, there was this big cognitive dissonance, there was this gap that I had to cross uh, because the approach to the game was, was very different. Now. Uh, so, so I want to I want to talk to you about this document that you wrote in 2008, uh, a quick yeah a quick primer for old school gaming, um, and in particular I want to I want to take the first few paragraphs, which I, I think I think that's an approach to helping people bridge this gap that I don't think a lot of people talk about. But but before we do that, uh, I, I would be interested to kind of know the environment of the time. So. You know, this is 20 to 15 years ago, and people are coming from 3rd edition and 4th edition is just coming out. Uh, what was it like, and, and why did you write this document? Like, how, what was it, were, were the challenges similar to, to people trying to, you know, come over to Shadow Dark today? Because you had this, this really successful Kickstarter for a fantasy adventure game, right? And there, there's this whole crowd of people from the brand hobby and the modern hobby and they're trying to figure out how to play this playstyle. But what was it back like? Why did you write this document, and what was it like back then? Sure. Well, I guess first of all, a couple of structural things. Um, I, as far as I recall, there there was no knowledge that Fourth Edition was on its way out. That was actually one of uh, Wizards of the Coast's publicity mistakes. Was that they kept keeping that secret, and actually, um, they they. Uh, intimated that it was that there was not going to be a new edition and so as far as everyone knew as far as everyone knew we were still in a third edition environment and um it had been um you know very popular and was still very popular out there um and the other thing i think structurally to realize is that although uh kickstarter exists i think at that point in time um, it is very small and it is not the industry driver yet um, that it is nowadays for anybody who started playing with 5th edition um, just as a, t as, a, as a time benchmark. Anybody who started playing 5th edition um, has been in a, a situation where Kickstarter drives 
all of the third-party publishing environment just because it's the best way uh, to get something out there and get eyes on a product. But at that point in time, it was not. Um, and so um, we are in this, and I guess the other thing to realize is that um, there has been an, an old-school renaissance. I, I, I usually start the old-school renaissance um, at about 2004, 2005, um, I think of it more as a community, an online community, um, and it has changed in, in meaning at this point to, to having more to do with publishers. But at that point in time, um, you know, even the internet was not uh, as all pervasive. Um, it was a very powerful force at that point, obviously. But the internet community of old school gaming was still building at that point. It had started about 2000 probably as early as 2002, but it really was rolling about 2004. Um, and so that community was building up and it wasn't very well defined because people were coming to it from all sorts of different, uh, you know, preferences, people who liked just retro gaming, people who liked simpler gaming, people who liked the, uh, you know, the blue maps uh, that were done with TSR, people who liked TSR. It was a lot of different, you know, groups of people and groups of interest and they weren't very well um, thought out at that point yet it was just people gravitating to a couple of communities and it was mainly one forum uh dragon's foot and then a couple of smaller forums that were associated with the dragon's foot uh you know knights and knaves um probably being the largest one and that was where osric got started out so that's the overall um sort of shape of history at that point in time um and the biggest thing that we were running into was people who were had started gaming uh, with third edition, because there were a lot of people at that point, third edition's been out since about the year 2000. So, you know, it's been out for eight years. Um, and so there's a whole generation of new gamers who um, had never played any of the pre-2000 TSR versions of the game. And when we were coming out with Swords and Wizardry, um, I discovered that the, the most prevalent um, hiccup that people had uh, when they were trying to get their groups to play with it, was this idea that the rules there were rules missing from the game, oh. um, and there were, uh, you know, because third edition was a very very elegant interlocking system. Uh, you had your character classes, but all of the character classes referred to feats. They all referred to skills. They all had one unified uh, resolution mechanism of you know a d20 against a, a difficulty class, which is still what's in place now. Um, but, uh, you know, they all tried to use those uh, systems um, regardless of which character class it was. And so, you know, and this is actually my criticism of third edition is that I think it was over elegant and over interlocking for the type of improvisational play that I enjoy with Dungeons and Dragons. And we'll get back to the term improvisational play. Um, so, uh, so the main thing I was trying to do with uh, with the old school primer was to was to is to give a general overview of you know this is the way it was done back in the day because you, you had the group of people who were saying it's missing rules and then you had a group of people who were just you know like hey I started with uh, third edition what was it like back in the day and so it was sort of a, a, a two-barreled shotgun approach of you know this is how you approach the the issue of the of the so-called missing rules and then secondly here are a bunch of things that you do when you are playing without those rules sort of more of a practical guide to how to play so there's there's the answer to the um to the, the what did the historical landscape look like and what were the objectives okay yeah great um 
so what I'd like to do, so let's kind of return to this, then this document. So you use this document as like, all right, here's how you uh, do this different approach. Like this, is that right? Like this different yep. approach so you can access a game. It doesn't have a single discrete resolution mechanic. Um, this is, yeah, okay. So the document itself, I won't go over all of it, but the what it does um, just for people listening is um, for the most part, it uses the example of play, which you'll find in a lot of role-playing games where it, it actually lists it out almost like a script, like, hey, here's what it would look like with people playing. But what it does is a side-by-side -side comparison. And it says, all right, here's what it might look like in third edition. And here's what it would maybe look like in Swords and Wizardry. And uh, that's, that's what the bulk of the document is about. But what I want to do is zoom in on just the first two paragraphs because um, I'll tell you for me so like I was saying I had been in the 5e ecosystem for six years trying to make games work trying to figure out the kind of game I wanted and then six years in discover games like Nave and I'd never heard of it had no way of knowing about it it wasn't it didn't have the, the market uh, uh, there wasn't, uh, the, you know, like you go to Walmart and there's a box set for Dungeons and Dragons. You can you can find Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition if you Google Dungeons and Dragons. That's what's that's what will come up. So without my kind of Google algorithm being retaught uh, as it has in the past couple of years, there was really no way to know that Swords and Wizardry even existed for me at the time. I have seen in in that process, I, I've worked with dozens of people that have tried to make this leap. Like they're like, okay. I want to try an old-school Renaissance game. And and here's some things I've seen, like, uh, common approaches. Um, one of them is just tell them it's D&D. Don't worry about it. I kind of call that uh, the catfishing approach, <laughs> which I, I yeah. don't... Yeah, and, and I don't mean to criticize it because it may these may be, like, completely brand-new players, but that doesn't work well if they're coming from the brand game. Another one is, well, compare it to a cultural touchstone. Say it's like... Indiana Jones, it's survival horror, or you know, something like that. And then a third approach, and this is the most common one I see, is minimize the differences to ease the transition. Now this is this is this dominates the conversation in my experience of how to help people get in. And so you do things like, you know, start with a old school game and then give the characters feats, more hit points, um, or you essentially create a simplified version of just the modern game. And I have found that these approaches don't work, uh, especially the last one. What it does is it creates a cognitive dissonance. So I heard players say things like, I feel like I have a level zero care. I feel like I don't have anything. I don't have any abilities. So it's just not fun. Um, and when I, when I discovered this document, the quick primer for old school gaming, what I found was a, a completely different approach that I wish I had started with two years ago, three years ago when I came into the OSR and I was trying to get my friends into it. And what, what the document suggests is some pretty dr drastic changes to, to how you would think about gaming. It says, essentially, if you take Forge and Wizardry and you play it, and you're going to play it just like you would play 3rd edition, it says here it will produce a completely pathetic gaming experience and you'll come to the conclusion that all sorts of things don't work and my understanding of their approach um, is that it, it suggests a, a, an active mentorship that you help players 
develop what are really a different set of skills, like on how you teach, you show, you guide. It says things like a fundamental modern gaming concept turned completely on its head, you know, and it says it seems impossible to a modern gamer's ear to even approach it this way. In, in other words, it's saying having an open mind and then willing to approach the game completely differently. Uh, what I observe here, uh, packed into these two paragraphs, is a, a, a completely uh, a different approach than what I see usually recommended. And I don't see a lot of people talking about it. And uh, in, in general, this, this idea that, hey, if you're going to come into an old school game, you, you might need to, well, to quote it again, uh, take a fundamental gaming concept and you have to completely put it on its head. You'll have to re-examine how you even approach games. And um, what I'd like to do, Matt, with you is look at this now um, 16 years later and, and look at it. And could it be said where it says, um, it says here, if you want to try one shot of zero E, uh, using the free rules uh, and you you know use it the modern game could you just as easily say if you want to try one shot of shadow dark or if you want to try one shot of nave or you know um, and you try to run it just like you would 5e or pathfinder could you just as easily say that or how has this changed by 2023 like how can we help people come to these games now Okay. Well, let me throw you a, a curveball, first of all, which is that in the next Kickstarter that we're going to do, um, we are going to include a revised version of the Quick Primer for Old School Gaming. That is awesome uh, that, and wild. <laughs> in that book and probably uh, do a PDF. And it's it's been a long time coming, but, you know, the... Uh, uh, for If for no other reason, just, you know, we're now at a point where um, third edition is as far in the past for fifth edition players as the old school versions were at the time that we originally came out with this. So right. the, uh, you know, the references to there's no such thing as a spot check. Um, well, it's not called a spot check anymore. It's a perception check now. So, you know, some of it, some of the, uh, the vocabulary that was used for, uh, you know, third edition rules is just wrong for the modern gamer who would have started with fifth edition. Um, but there are also a few other things that I think are important, um, that, that I wanted to add in there. So um, so we'll get to that. But first, the question was about Shadow Dark and Knave. And one thing that's different here is that Shadow Dark and Knave um, have both been written with the objective of being playable for a fifth edition audience because they were constructed from the ground up. They're using old school principles. Um, but the, uh, but uh, you know, uh, uh, Kelsey and Ben um, both... Um, had the knowledge of, you know, they, they, they had the capability to start from scratch with the idea of writing something that was old school on the one hand, but that was translatable into fifth edition. Whereas what I started with, you know, many, many, many years ago, um, there, there, were, there were there were only a couple of retro clones at that point. Retro clones weren't a particularly huge thing at that point in time. Um, and I was just going, you know, more from the retro clone perspective rather than from a game style. It wasn't clear to to, to people um, really that old school game, whether old school gaming was a style of gaming uh, or whether it was a set of rules or what exactly it was that we were even talking about there. And that was one of the things that I was trying to clarify, you know, 
but it's you know my opinion only um the the approach that it, it mainly has to do with the fact that it's an open-ended rule set that doesn't have um any sort of interlocking skill or feat type of things that those are improvised uh you know during play uh by the players in the interesting game. so so i so i think that shattered arc and knave are probably going to be um a way of introducing people to uh, old school gaming that is on the one hand easier and on the other hand probably won't be as um, as rich an, uh, an old school experience as using one of the actual original old school systems. Yeah, um, I, would, I would agree with that. Simply because decisions have to be made by a designer. Um, and that was the thing was I took myself out of the design process and just said, look, here's the old version. Whereas Kelsey and Ben are, are doing some actual design decisions have to be made. Things have to get cut up, um, in, in order to make it do what you want to do. So my guess is that, you know, that it, it, it will be easier and that probably depending on which one of those two systems you use, um, you'll be gaining or losing, you know, different things uh you know in terms of the overall experience and that's not to say anything bad about either one of those two systems it's just that they're coming at it from a slightly different objective only slightly but it is a different objective than uh than when you're working with a, an actual uh you know retro clone of the original rules yeah i would definitely agree with that i um uh i am obsessed with uh with swords and wizardry and uh with um what I observe is almost two different strands of DNA and I'm, I'm kind of, so here I am uh, not having a background in this and I'm sort of discovering this almost in an archeological manner uh, where, because you know, the, uh, the library of Alexandria, I suppose is gone, right? Google plus and a lot of those communities and now it's fractured and I, I meet some dragon's foot people here. I meet some people there, uh, but there's not some, place I can go and learn how to play first edition advanced dungeons and dragons uh, per se I have to actually just find a, a master of that so it's a <laughs> it's a very old but anyways that I observe uh, after having played some OSR games for a while that um, that almost has its own DNA the systems will like the assassin right like the assassin has all of this diegetic stuff in the world it has a page worth of like saying well once you get to this point you must kill the assassin above you before right. you can be recognized and there's no rule there's no there's no number or dice roll for that and that that that's an entire uh, to me i see that in original dnd and advanced dnd that there's this dna they share uh, that does things and and of course like there is no um, universal bell curve per se you know a fighter might get a bonus but a thief may not uh, on an attribute and um, modern osr games uh, it seems they took the the bx kind of uh, dna and they use it for minimalism and um, uh, a, a kind of a different approach i use those examples because uh, in shattered arc in particular i'm in their discord and there are probably a dozen people a day that say, I can't find a rule for using two-handed weapons, and I'm paralyzed. So they, these two paragraphs answer that question. <laughs> and they, you know, so... What product is this going to be paired with for a Kickstarter? Is that... Um... Well, it'll be in the... Uh, there, the main product is... Uh, it gonna, there's going to be a supplemental rule book, and it'll be in there. 
Um, and then uh, there'll also be a monster book and, you know, probably okay. some other things, uh, you know, tied in there. But we're probably also going to release um, the uh, the old school primer separately, you know, as a, you know, a free PDF. And we may print some out and sell them. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see. But, uh, you know, it was just that since I was working on this supplement um, and was talking with Susie, who is the other uh, owner of Mythmir Games, um, and she said, you know, she was talking about how, you know, look, there's a lot of introductory, um, you, you know, sort of stuff that you've already done with the old school primer. And I'm like, well, yeah, but it's, it's really old, you know, it's, it's not really on point anymore. Um, so she she suggested, you know, go ahead and redo it. And I, I usually am pretty resistant to the idea of redoing something that people out there in the world view as a classic, because you, you then get people who are referring to the original version and some people who are referring to the second version. Right. There's there's you know confusion about it um but I, I think it's probably been long enough that it won't create that kind of of difficulty and um the and i think that the main thing that you know to add to it because when i wrote the original um old school primer i was mainly focused on um you know what's universal about this okay well let's look at the rules and so it was this um fact that um the old school systems generally don't have rules for things that are normally done by skills, feats, and ability checks. And, and I focused on that. But I think there's another equally important thing about it, which has to do with the social contract at the table and the way in which it's played, because, um, and, it, and it does follow from um, the fact that the rule set is much smaller and that you are making rulings, not rules, but it's really maybe better stated that, that second part of it, that it is that, that the old school game, what you're doing is you're improvising. The, the GM is improvising rulings. Sometimes they're deciding whether or not to even use a rule. Um, and then the players also are improvising, uh, you know, their um, approach to solving a problem in the game. And so there, there's, it's simply, the, it comes down to the word improvisational. Um, that, and, and I think that it may be, would make less, you know, argument, less fuss, or more understanding, or so on and so forth, to say, look, it's not so much an issue of whether you are um, playing a game that has a lot of rules or doesn't have a lot of rules. The difference is, are you playing D&D &D, um, with, do you want to play it with a comprehensive rule set, or do you want to play it with a, a largely improvised rule set? Do you want to play an improvisational game, or do you want to play a rules, a more rules-based game? And that distinction between the two styles, I think, I think that actually captures the difference in style, in the feel of play at the table, um, more than just uh, the the sort of approach that I took with the original old school primer. Of, this is what it looks like in the third edition approach, whereas this is what it looks like, you know, as a script, like you said. Um, you know, this is what it looks like, you know, using the old school approach. And I'm still using old school scripts there because I think it's really useful for people to see what this looks like in practice um, rather than yeah. just a sort of theoretical, you know, it's, you know, there are fewer rules. Okay, well, what does that mean? That, that means right. nothing. Uh, that that kind of sounds like a bad thing, at least from the point of view of a modern player. Uh, in fact, I've heard that criticism. I have modern players that have tried to play old school essentials and they're like, these rules are terrible. Sometimes I'm rolling high, sometimes I'm rolling low. It seems completely arbitrary. I don't understand, you know, and that just to, like what their modern perspective, how it kind of feels to them uh, if they just start running it off the page, right? Right. 
Um, and, and I think that if people have in their head the idea that there is there is more improvisation involved in this style of game, um, that 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 is something you know. And there's there's a relatively you know positive um, connotation to the word improvisational. You know, people get that they've seen improvisational right. acting, they can import that over into uh, playing a game. That it's it's a more improvisational game. And when you look at the rules that way with the idea, okay, these are the rules for an improvisational game, you realize, okay, it's a different type of game, therefore the rules are going to look different. Um, and, and, and and you don't get that sort of speed bump of, of seeing, you know, descending armor class, ascending armor class. If it's improvisational, you're, you're more like, okay, I get that. You know, I can, I can see how that works. And in some cases, you'll even, uh, you know, see, you know, there is no skill system. Well, okay, well, there wouldn't be because you know, we're doing it, you know, based on what would I actually do. So, uh, you know, I've tried to bring in more of that um, sort of social contract at the table um, kind of um, commentary into the second version of it um, than just focusing more on, you know, here are two different rules systems and how they work. So. That, that uh, to me seems like a really great idea because I, I observe that one of the problems is we're kind of ensconced in all this jargon. Uh, and uh, if and I mean we're talking about some people, some people who are casual, uh, a casual brand audience, and they want to try a different kind of game that could really free them and really give them because they a lot of people want a more freeform game actually. Uh, and, oh yeah, and uh, they, and they don't they don't even know that's an option. I certainly felt that way, uh, and um, but but then it's sort of encased in all this jargon about. Uh, concepts and ideas and axioms and acronyms and stuff and uh to, to kind of become more primordial about it more more common sense and just say think of it as improvisational seems like it'd be really helpful but let's just say that someone you know they're they're they want to uh, so i'll say that i'll say well think of this think of this as improvisation and then they'll say, well, of course it's improvisation, but I need a, a rule system so that I can actually engage with the world. I need something I can do. And then I say, yeah, but imagine that the rules are improvisational. Like the actual way that you approach the whole game can be more freeform and improvisational, just like you would uh, improv or improv comedy. Right, and, and I wouldn't suggest that you know all of the rules... Are, are, are improvisational either when you're talking to people because, you know, everybody has, if you think of it this way, you know, when you're playing 5th edition, you have a basket of resolution mechanics. You've got ability right. checks, you've got skill checks, um, you know, you've got, uh, you know, disadvantage, advantage. You, 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 the, the DM has a bunch of tools at their disposal. And it's the same thing, you know, when you're playing an old school game. It's just that with the old school game, the players largely don't know which resolution mechanic you might pick to fit a particular circumstance whereas in um in the in the more modern games where all of the rules are included in the player's handbook they've got an idea that um it should be um you know call it a perception uh check you know they, they they've got every understanding that it ought to be a perception check and so if the dm uh you know changes up on that and uses something else, like, you know, let's just roll a d6, and on a one you perceive it, um, then in, in that case, because of what you are bringing to the game, you're going to make the assumption that the DM is, um, 
you know, is, is tweaking stuff and this might or might not be fair. Um, you know, even if I, you know, even if I trust my buddy Rob to, to, to try and be fair, um, you know, I've seen his judgment. It's not that great, (laughs) you know, um, you know, and whereas on the other hand, if, if the players approach it, um, the way that they do with the old school thing, which was from a perspective where a lot of those rules were actually not put into the player's handbook, um, the uh, you know the idea that the that the DM is just going to pick some resolution mechanic and, and pick the best one is somehow um, less irritating, less weird. You know, feels less like they are somehow tweaking the game, and it's just more like the way that the game works in something like that. So, you know, there the 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 idea of the of the referee having a basket of resolution mechanics that's present in both games. Uh, it's really just a question of you know whether does you know if if you've got a slope that's involved in a combat, um, you know fifth edition probably you're going to treat that just as difficult terrain, um, but you wouldn't necessarily have to. What if the DM wants to make it more interesting and make it harder than difficult terrain and say, well, you need to make you know some sort of a, a saving throw type, you know, or, or check or something like that to be able to get up and over this wall in the middle of the combat? Something that does definitely add a tactical element to a combat and while you feel free to do that if you um, are playing an improvisational game there is that element of why are you making this you know more difficult or why are you tweaking this or what's the purpose of this change Um, and it's not like they would necessarily disagree you know if you went through and explained it hey you know I want to throw you know, a more interesting obstacle into the middle of the combat and make it more tactically interesting, people will probably be like, okay, great. But by the time you've had that discussion, you've broken the pacing of the game. Yeah. Whereas in the in the older school game, it's since it's just basically normal, uh, you know, to have the DM throwing in something like that, it doesn't break the pacing of the game. The, you know, the, the, the results and probably what the two groups of players would agree to are, are exactly the same, but in one of them, uh, you, you run into a, a pacing problem and the other you don't. And, and that's the sort of, you know, often subtle differences between, um, you know, playing fifth edition and playing an older school version of, of the game. And when people dissect it on the internet afterwards, you, you see people saying, well, yeah, it wouldn't be any problem, you know, in a fifth edition game. And it's like, you know, yeah, it wouldn't, except for when it's actually happening at the table, that <clears throat> those, you know, extra few back and forths of discussion about the rules, you know, actually create kind of, you know, a, a, a less cool, you know, playing experience. Right. Uh, so, so the like differences it- often are subtle. Yeah, so is it kind of like in in fifth edition to use that example? Uh, it sounds almost like the the uh, what's under the hood, the the guts of the engine, is out there for the players to actually use and interact with, um, and and there's an expectation for that, so that it should always be there should be an orthodoxy, there should always be a certain way, like uh, if this is difficult terrain, it cuts my movement in half. It can't cut it by three quarters. It can't, you know, this is how that role works versus uh, in, in what you're describing, this improvisational play, would you say maybe um, maybe it's sort of, it makes me think of that kind of Gary Gygax, uh, I don't know if it's a, a, a legend or if it's true, but some say, you know, he would just say, you, you don't have a character sheet, like just interact with the world. And well, that's the, be- that's a, the a little, that a little further in that direction anyways. Yeah, well, I mean, definitely that's the advice that's given um, to, to most people who are trying to, you know, do old school DMing or, 
you know, get a, a, a group of people is that, you know, take, take a look at your players. If they're still looking at their character sheets, they haven't quite grasped what's going on yet. Right. Whereas if they're looking at, you know, at you at the DM, you know, possibly frowning, but, you know, if they're looking at you, <laughs> uh, you know, then, then the, uh, then, then they're in the, they, they've grasped the, me the method that's being used there. So, so let, let's go back to the example of Rob real quick. And let's say Rob, he's learning how to be an, an old school referee and, uh, and they have, he's gotten a lot of frowns and he's gotten some disagreements and they've kind of worked this out in communication. Uh, I've, I've had this experience for sure. Um, where especially right now I'm running classic traveler <laughs> And there is no discrete resolution mechanic at all. Nope, right? none at all. Sack of all trades <laughs> yeah. is the best thing to take because it apparently gives you a skill in everything. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes uh, the author uh, of Classic Traveler will go on to like a, a four paragraph exposition of how operating an anti aircraft battery might work, but there are no numbers. And then sometimes it's a single sentence with two numbers, and and it doesn't have any. It, it's different from skill skill, but anyways. I've had these conversations. Now, let's say Rob, let's say he has uh, been doing this for a while and he's, he's, he's made some of these rulings. He's, he's, uh, they have this trust. Um, eventually, the players have this trust that Rob will present something entertaining and then they will interact with the world instead of, you know, with, with the guts and mechanics and the engine uh, under the hood of, of how the game works. And they leave that to Rob. What does Rob's success look like? Like five sessions in where these players are like, wow, that is way better than me having those guts, than me having, uh, you know, uh, having the engine of the, the game world, of the, of, of, of the game system, and I'm the one that has that. Um, it's way more entertaining to have Rob do that. What does that success look like, and what do you get that you wouldn't get if the players had all sorts of buttons to push? I mean, I think that overall, it's more uh, more unexpected moments happening. Um, that the pacing tends to be better. That um, Rob doesn't have to stop and look up, a, you know, a rule in order to get it right. Um, that uh, you know, I, it, it, it's it's more um, it's a more diversely um, the, the experiences of playing uh, are are probably somewhat broader. Uh, than if you're playing with a more comprehensive rule set. I mean, I don't think um, the, the, it's, it, has, it has to do with the quality of the play itself. So, I mean, I guess what I would say is that the success is those five sessions under Rob's belt in which people have been having um, a lot more fun, uh, you know, less interrupted by rules, um, because you're going to still have disputes, you know, when you're using an old school... Um, you know, methodology. It's not like a player's not going to raise his hand and say, wait a second, you know, I ought to have right. a better chance of succeeding, you know, at climbing a wall or something like that. And, and there's going to be, uh, you know, back and forth about it. And I think usually, you know, the, the way that I usually tell DMs to work it is that, you know, realize that while you are the final authority on what, you know, is going to be, um, you know, I definitely entertain, you know, it, if somebody thinks that they would have a better chance of something, you know, then there there's some disjunction in, in the visualization, you know, of how steep is the wall or something like that. You know, right. that, and, you know it, it'd be like, well, wait, I ought to be able to just scamper right over. And, I'm, and then it's either it's either. Yeah, you're right. You, you would scamper right over or 
you're picturing a wall that is way less steep than the one that I've right. got in, in my head. It's one or one or the other of those two. And I, I think, you know, you know, there there is more I don't. I guess I don't really want to say that there's more skill involved in being an old school DM, but certainly, um, you know, I, I I still stick to the idea that um, a, you know a bad old school DM will actually be worse than a bad fifth edition DM um, because there there are just more things to screw up. There's more judgment calls. There's more you know social admin yeah. going on around the table. So I you know I'm I, when somebody says you know hey you know I you know your DM could be bad in an old school game. You're right. You are absolutely right. Um, but the thing is that I think also that a that a a medium to good DM uh, will probably be better because they're more freed up um, by approaching it with the old school thing because you're a little bit less constrained in terms of the rules. Interesting. Uh, yeah, in, in my yeah. trade, uh, we have a saying about that. Um, a, uh, an, uh, a, an excellent Boeing pilot is an excellent Boeing pilot, and a bad Boeing pilot is a bad Boeing pilot. But a excellent uh, or a bad Airbus pilot is a good Airbus pilot. And an excellent Airbus pilot is a good Airbus pilot. <laughs> exactly, it's a, it is. It is exactly the, it's that. It's automated, kind of and thing. you're yeah. depending depending on a filter of other systems uh, instead of your own fine acumen and and things like that. Um, yeah, but I don't think it, I don't think it serves anybody to say, look, any DM is going to be better using old school rules. That's not true. Interesting. Um, okay. I I do think that there is you know that while there is a lot more room to succeed. Um, there's also somewhat more room to fail in, in, in that kind of DM. I can see that. Yeah, and one of the things you said, it makes me think of my conversation with Jim Parkin uh, because he was uh, he, he has these games that uh, the he can run a game for like three months without a dice roll. It's, it's, it's kind of a peculiar thing. But to him, what you were describing about the wall example is that that is the game. The more you communicate... And the more you offer information and choices, the more they're making choices. And then you see the results of those choices and that just you go on and on and on. Um, and uh, and that you would depend on that a lot, it sounds like, as, a, as an yeah, old Yeah, I think game. so. I mean, as you know, and there are differences, you know, of, of opinion, you know, among, um, you know, old school gamers. I'm definitely of the school... Um, of referee that will tell the players what the odds are because you know yeah i like there, that there, too there are some people who are like well you know i'm describing the wall i'm just going to do a really good job of describing the wall and then it breaks the, the and then it's on them yeah talking numbers and i don't agree with that i i you know if i have to explain it i'm like well they would be able to mentally calculate odds on their own right but you know the thing is you know it, it's a game there are going to be some numbers in there um it's a lot smoother um and gives the players more agency if I'm like, okay, here, here's how I'm going to do it for this wall. Um, you know, I'm going to roll a, a D6, and you can get over it uh, if you roll a one or a two. And then if they're like, well, hey, what about a three? Couldn't I, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm really fast. Okay, you know, fine, you can do it on a three, or no, you can't do it on a three. I'm going to hold to the two D6. But I do, I do discuss odds. Uh, yeah. With, with players and I certainly think that's a good idea but in that in that one that's me subjectively talking about the way that I do it as opposed to the way the whole old school does it because there, there are different schools of thought it also makes me this this kind of um, improvisational play you're talking about makes me think of um, 
my friend, uh, so uh, James Spawn, because he started with story games. He started with like, uh, well, he didn't start with that, but like that was like his whole thing was stuff like uh, Vampire the Masquerade. And he, and he doesn't have, when he talks about it, he, he, he doesn't have like a, uh, like a loyalty to original D&D. Now, I'm enamored with it. I, I, I think I have a little bit of the, I think this is cool because it's retro also. Like, I, I have that aesthetic appreciation. Uh, but when he talks about it, he says he doesn't have that at all. Like, he doesn't he doesn't care if it's original D&D or not. Uh, for him, the big feature is he feels like the rules just got out of the way. And Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, James is very, very, um, you know, omnivorous. He He's probably the lead freelancer. He's our go-to freelancer. Um, he wrote Legacy of Blackscale Lagoon, which was the module that we came out with with Swords and Wizardry. Um, you know, he and I are on the phone, you know, on a weekly basis probably talking about stuff. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think that's a pretty apt view of the way that he approaches the kind of thing. It's, it's, it's a question of how is this going to work as a game. It's not about a particular rule set. Okay, so now this sounds like a challenging thing. Then, if somebody wanted to try to run an old school game, it sounds like, um, like you said, there's a possibility that it, maybe you make some bad rulings and it's not fun. You know, so so um, if that's the case, how does someone get started? Uh, like, a, I started like three years ago. Now, I ran Nave initially. I don't know. I, I think I ran Nave because. It felt like fifth edition, and it felt safer. And then I ran Five Torches Deep, actually, because it felt safer. And uh, it it didn't go well. <laughs> I mean, I had right. fun, but it, it <laughs> like that was the a game where one of the players was like, I just feel like I didn't have anything to do. Like I, you know, yeah. and yeah. Well, one player I mean, died three times, and you know, and I, I had not developed these principles that took time to develop. How I mean. Um, how does somebody break through to the other side where they get to this uh, freeform improvisational gameplay where it moves really fast and they present something very entertaining for their friends? I mean, I wish I had good advice, but, you know, since I learned back at the time that everybody was learning, um, you know, with only the improvisational rule set, you know, I, I'm not 100% sure. I would suggest probably... You know, playing with somebody who's who's running an old school game at a convention and seeing it in action is probably yeah. the most helpful uh, way of doing it. Because for all the you know, for all the writing in the world and for all the time, you know that that I spend trying to describe it, you know, uh, description is just not the same as seeing it. Because a lot of it is social skills. You know, you can read the um, the description of what a DM is saying, but you're maybe not seeing the hand gestures and things that, that go into something like that. And everybody does it differently. So, you know, I think the first thing is that if you're going to try running an old school game, you really want to make sure that the gaming group that you're doing it with is on board with the idea. Because yeah. you see a lot of you see a lot of people who are like, "Wow, I found this neat new thing. I want to introduce it to my friends. It sounds really cool." Some of the friends are, um, you know, resistant to trying a new game because people do tend to get very, very attached to the role-playing game, either that they've learned or that they're currently playing, but definitely the first one that they ever play, um, and that tends to shape everything that you do after that with any RPG. Um, and and I cite a. a 
difference between the people who started playing D&D versus those that started with Traveler, and it's, a, it's an interesting thing to explore, but there's a difference between that. But anyway, if you've got some of your players who are, you know, in, in some sense resistant to the type of thing, because even if they try, even if they cause a little bit of trouble, or even if they snark just a little bit about the thing it's doing, it's really hard to learn how to run a really, really cool game of D&D, even if you're playing 5th edition, it's really hard to learn how to be a DM when you've got all of the rules set out for you. When you don't have them all set out for you, it's, you know, exponentially more difficult. So, you know, it's like start with, you know, a, gr a group of people who really are on board um, would, would be my suggestion. And if you don't have a group of people that really aren't they're on board, I would say, you know, maybe go to a convention play in a couple of old school games, look at the techniques that are being used, um, because there's there's a, 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 there's a lot that goes into it. So I, I don't really have a great, you know, I've, I've done sort of with the, the old school primer, I've sort of done the best I can, and that's where I ran out of ideas for helping. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, I, I actually uh, agree. Uh, if I could go back in time, because I had this experience where I was a fifth edition dungeon master for six years and then i started watching uh questing beast and i observed um my experience was when i think of dungeons and dragons i think of an adventurer with a cloak and like lord of the rings with muddy boots and uh you know carrying a backpack and blade and they go into a tavern and they uh they they sit gloomily in a corner and make their plans on a on a map and then they have then they have to go on an adventure where they have to travel through something perilous to find something valuable. They go on this hero's journey. And my experience with D&D 5th edition was, uh, well, and I offered this criticism recently somewhere where, uh, actually, if you look at the rules, it literally suggests you not have a, a uh, overland portion. Like it just says, the DM should just describe this. And then it has no rules for a dungeon. It doesn't have any rules. Uh, it has rules in the DMG for a city, interestingly. Uh, but uh, if you get to the adventure section, uh, there are no rules for a wilderness or for a, a, a dungeon. So I discovered in Questing Beast... Um, oh, and the other thing is that the, uh, the Goldilocks zone of play rapidly pushes you into something very heroic, where you need to play a role in the world. And you almost assume these responsibilities, where I kind of wanted uh, something where I could freely interact with the world and just uh and and be my own person and not have the world tell me who i was and um questing beast videos showed me that like i was like oh this is a game where just traveling through the wilderness is a mechanical part of the game that matters and there are things that will happen in it that are unexpected and i can just choose and uh, so here I was in this position where I wanted to do that. And I'm like, how do you do that? How do you get your friends to do it? And I made exactly the mistake you were describing where I tried to figure out how to convince my friends <laughs> to stop. Because, or, or, you know, we're all limited in time. Uh, so therefore, stop playing the thing that we loved to do the thing that a lot of people just didn't want to do. And, uh, and what I really think I should have done was find someone to mentor me and actually shuffle in and be a level one fighter or thief or magic user in an old school game. That's what I should have found and then learned it. Um, and uh, with, the, with, with the online setup that we have with Discord, there are a dozen 
looking for group Discord servers with tons of games available. Uh, I think I'll do a whole episode just on that, on highlighting where you can get in a game. Because right now, you can essentially get in a high-quality, old-school game tomorrow, if you wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's what I, I think that's what I should have done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, you know, and, and once you've once you've got your legs under you as, yeah. as, as an old-school DM, you can definitely, um, w- once you don't have the insecurity about the rules, um, you know, you, you can run an old-school game um, that will demonstrate to the players what the difference is between the two because you'll have somebody ask, well, what can I do? And, th- and then you're just confident, you know, saying, well, have you got a tenant foot pole? Have you got any kind of tool that you can use? Uh, you want to look around and see whether there's maybe a tool that's nearby, um, you know, but you, you really have to be um, confident in what you're doing before you can right. really uh, get people to you get people who are at least partially resistant um, to recognize, okay, well, here these are two different kind of games. You know, maybe I do enjoy this, maybe I don't. Um, but the other thing is, you know, there are a bunch of people who really do just honestly prefer, a, you know, a type of game that's got, um, you know, relatively comprehensive rules because they right. don't want to focus on the rules. What they want to focus on is, you know, what you're doing with the rules. Um, and they don't mind whether it takes a little bit of extra time. Um you know, and then on the other hand, you've got, uh, you know, a, a, a group of players who, like you, even when they started playing Fifth Edition, um, were like, you know what, this is this feels a little bit regimented to me. I'm just, you know, rolling the dice, moving the mice, um, kind of thing. And I, I think, you know, and there, of course, there are some players who can, you know, like either one of the two, depending on what it is. But I, I think that a lot of players do, you know, tend to fall, you know more in one direction than the other and so if you can get the ones who are feeling like you know yeah maybe a little bit more you know improvisational type of play would be more fun um you know that that's the group to try and learn with if you can okay yeah so it 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 sounds like um if uh if i were to represent these first two paragraphs if i were to uh especially I'm thinking of people they're coming into our play club right now and they're like I've heard of Shadow Dark I want to play it um, and and one thing Shadow Dark does have in common with Swords and Wizardry is if you take the same approach the rules will not be there for you and and, and, and in fact Shadow Dark is very thin on rules uh, that's not fair to say it's it's thin on pl- maybe player facing or maybe character facing rules but there are tons of rules for the world and procedures and stuff but but anyways, so I want to try to give something to these people to, to help them bridge that gap. And it sounds like uh, one thing is to emphasize that your entire approach to the rules would be different, that it's, that, that it's an improvisational exercise uh, and, and that it's more open-ended instead of having like a list of things that you can sort of activate. And that it sounds like this is a skill to develop and like not to just like uh, would it be fair to say don't come to conclusions just on one session of play? Like maybe, uh, especially if people, they're not going to find someone. What, what happens with a lot of people is they, if you want to play a game, you have to referee the game. <laughs> that's all, like if you're passionate about it. And much, yeah. yeah, and if that's the case, like don't, don't, pin, don't say, okay, well, this is what the game is based on one session of play. Maybe it's going to take some time to cook and you're going to have to develop the skills uh, first and... Uh, and then and keep working on it is that fair to say 
Oh yeah, because I mean, it's not only the DM that has to develop skills for old school. That's players, true too. Wow, yeah. You know, the players do as well. So you know, if 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 you know, in that in that first time, they're not going to have the skills either. You know, while you're learning them as a as a DM, um, and the question is, you know, do they do they even trust you, given that you're stumbling over, uh, you know, how how to handle a wall in combat. Uh, while you're stumbling over that, are they going to trust your advice about, well, you know, think about tools, think about, uh, right. you know, this or that. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's not an easy thing, you know, to, uh, to introduce, you know, an entirely different play style to people. You've got all of the resistance that people have um, when you're talking about doing a genre switch from fantasy. Oh, to yeah, it's true. A whole lot of people are going to be like, well, no, I really like fantasy. Why do we want to play a sci-fi game? Yeah, it's ab it's absolutely as difficult as making that kind of a jump. So, all right. So it sounds like to gain this mentorship to actually see it unfold, um, I I would recommend you can watch things. So uh, going back to uh, Ben Milton, uh, he just pointed a camera down at the table and ran Winner's Daughter the module, which I thought was fantastic. That that had a quality to it that was better. Uh, as an educational thing than say an actual play where sometimes it's more audience facing you know like you can actually watch how this kind of unfolds but then ideally you know actually go to a convention and meet people and, and watch it and play it but if somebody can't do that there are tons of places online I'll put some of them in the description actually including our play club where we'll actually if somebody comes in they're like I want to try this I'll make it happen. Because I, I don't know why, but I have a, a bug about that. Maybe because of the difficulties I went through. I don't know. But <laughs> but let's say, you know, that none of those options are available uh, because of time constraints or whatever. A lot of people, it's just people, and they start playing with their kids or they start playing with their family. And they really, they, they had that same sense that I do where they wanted an adventure game experience from the oh, get-go. Oh, yeah, because that's, that's the one thing. If you're playing with kids, it's really hard to run a game that has comprehensive rules because they'll think of, they'll absolutely... I thought that, too. Like, it's easier for than, kids to play these oh, yeah. games than it is modern game. It, it's hard for kids to play a game that's got comprehensive rules. And, and my wife, it's that way. Like, um, I mean, obviously, I do like these simpler games, so I, I don't mean to sound so critical. It's true if, you know, uh, people like 5th Edition or whatever, but... Uh, for my wife, uh, you know, creating a fifth edition character felt like doing taxes. Like yeah. it, like it, that there's so many things that you have to do. And she loves uh, like a Dungeon Crawl Classics funnel where she has almost nothing and she's just interacting with it and goofy stuff is happening. She, she just adores that. And we've had so much fun. But all right, let's say that you have that set up because there's a lot of people like that. And uh, what would you say is the easiest way? to get something down on the table when you've got a referee that doesn't have a lot of experience and players that don't have a lot of experience or the players are your kids or something like that? Well, I mean, it's probably using a pre module and, you know, out of those, probably the best one um, is the old Keep on the Borderlands module, which was, you know, designed for that. It was designed for that. It still works. Um, you know, I, I, a lot of people have written other introductory adventures you know we've got one you know uh, legacy of black scale lagoon written by james spawn um but uh you know if if you're looking for something that you're going to be able to easily get your hands on i think that it's still pretty easy to find copies and keep on the borderlands and that because it walks you through it you know through what the process is interesting uh, yeah hints along the way of you know how you know here it's it's you know here's what it you know here's the box text that describes the room 
uh, you know, here's what happens in the room, but also here's a little bit of commentary about, you know, assuming that you're a real beginner. Um, so, you know, that's generally, I think, the best um, introductory uh, module. And I say that, that, and that was actually not the first one that I played with. I played, I was in the uh, In Search of the Unknown generation, uh, which was B1 rather than B2, uh, which was solely dungeon. And that's a very good one, too. But I think that uh, uh, Keep on the Borderlands does a better job of being a true introductory module even than B1. Yeah, I... I agree about um, as my experience as someone who has recently learned old school games. Actually, I agree with that too. I wish I could go back in time and say uh, this is something because there's a lot of stuff in the TSR ages which uh, is would be very hard for somebody just to pick up. If you literally picked up old, uh, original D and D, it is incomprehensible. Like it almost makes no sense. But the uh, the starter modules like. Um, uh, Keep on the Borderlands. I also think of like um, B4 is just a masterpiece introductory module because it has all the stuff and it says, all right, you're new. Here are the things you do and here's why you're doing it. And then it leads you through it. And all you have to do is do the procedure as you go from place to place and they make choices. And um, uh, yeah, those introductory modules, even B11, which came out much later, is you know, like a starter set module. And um the design of it is meant to teach, and uh, it does it in a really good way. That's a good point. Yeah, I, I think that's usually the best way for a, a starting DM to do it. it. It at least takes out part of the worry that you might be doing something wrong. Um, yeah, that's true. By having it there, and it, it just removes that particular area of anxiety from the equation. Um, because a lot, you know, a lot of it has to do with confidence. Yeah. And you know, the interesting thing for me is a lot of that stuff that you're mentioning is a uh, complete 180 from what I would have said a year and a half ago. And I'm just now starting to realize some of the stuff you're saying. Yeah, well, I mean, my, my approach to everything is that, you know, it's best to confront the difficulties head on because nothing has no difficulties to it. So that's why that's I'm true like, too. you know, yeah, I'm like, yep, an old school DM can be worse than somebody who's doing a boring job but following the rules in fifth edition yeah you know you know that th th yep it's pretty hard to learn um the you know it's just it, it doesn't it doesn't help anybody to try and hide the differences so you know like you were talking about people saying you know it's a, a cognitive dissonance is what i see arise where they're yeah, looking the, at it from the lens of 5e and they're like, this is a terrible 5e game. And they're right. Yes, it's a terrible exactly. 5e game. <laughs> That's exactly. not what it I should mean, be. The, the best way to handle cognitive dissonance is basically to say, okay, let's let's start from scratch. This is what we're doing. You know, this yeah. is the goal. It is an entirely different, you know, in, 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 in almost all respects, it is entirely different. Um, and in fact, I think that one of the things in the, in the new... Um, primer that i wrote was that you know old school dnd and fifth edition dnd both have dnd in the title but they're entirely different games and yeah. i think that's the best way to think about it is that this is an entirely different game um you know my knowledge of the of the other game i'm going to try and put that entirely aside and just look at this for what it is um because right. there's so much blurring that happens um yeah like even even like the premise you start with i found i need to do that is uh, I had this assumption with 5th edition, which is true, is that you're going to be a hero. You're going to be 
some sort of action-oriented character and you're going to have stunts and you're going to be successful in combat. And I had to start with the premise and say, listen, you are here to survive and get inside of this dangerous place and get the treasure out. And none of the, how do you do that doesn't matter. Like the fact that the monsters are there doesn't mean you need to fight them. In fact, that might be a bad idea. Uh, but it's up to you, but that's the premise of the game. I had to like start back at the very premise of what are you even doing here and then operate from that. I mean, one way of doing it, it really, it so much depends on your group because there are some people who are so, um, you know, worried about the idea that, you know, old school gaming has this reputation for lethality to it. And it's like, right. but, but if you've got a group that's okay with that, then here's a really easy way to do it is that like, you know, look, there are two different kinds of video games. There's the kind of video game where everything gets more difficult as you get better. Um, and there's the kind of video game where, you know what? It depends on where you are. And so one of the things I've said in this one, you know, is, is the, the risk and reward in an old school game depend on where you are, not who you are. Yeah. And so, uh, and, and, and it's this idea that, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to get things. So there is a real challenge um, to the game and, and, and it's, it, it's challenging. It's a difficult game. Some people eat that up. Right. Um, and, and, and if you get, you know, the, the people who are wanting to take on a difficult game, you know, these are the people who play, you know, with no cheat modes on the hardest version possible of the video <laughs> game, you know. Um, if you've got people with that kind of psychology, um, then that kind of view is, um, is, is very easily assumed for them. And if you tell them, you know what, you're, you're trying to survive, I guarantee you some exciting stuff is going to happen. It's just not going to happen as a result of a particular number or formula that's on your character sheet. But I guarantee you there are yeah. going to be you know, thrills, chills, and spills. And, that, you know, and again, that's the, the, the other thing is you know, when I'm DMing, um, a lot of times you know, if something goes wrong, uh, it goes wrong hilariously. And things yeah, exactly. Coming, incredibly complicated situations and that's and and the the, the joy in, in watching something go spectacularly sideways and still managing to pull it out you know that tends to be more of the uh of the old school game type of thing whereas you know in the uh in the more modern approach it still tends to remain pretty much within the parameters of the dice rolls right. um, and so even if something does go bad it's like it's either so bad and you're and you're thinking okay well that means i've got to roll a 20 and, and there's a big difference between thinking, okay, I've got to roll a 20, as opposed to thinking, I got to slide under this dragon and get the sword in between some weak point in his armor. <laughs> right. And those are two very different psychologies of, of the game. And it's not like 5th edition, you know, 5th edition is a good system. It's, you know, I, I don't mean to run 5th edition down in any way. It's just that it's a different type of system. Right. Um, and it's just, you know, and it, it's just, that's the... Uh, the, the, the hallmark of the of the old school play, you know, tends to be that you're 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 in the that you're visualizing what happens and what you can do, rather than being pushed toward thinking about it in terms of a, a number. And the games are so similar in a lot of ways that it's sometimes very hard to see what that difference really is. That was why I had such a, a tough time answering the question you asked me about Rob the DM. What what is the mode of his? You know, what is the the benchmark of his success? I'm like, you know what? It's going to be pretty subtle. It's it, it's just that. The, the way that the game uh, has has developed in the course of his five sessions is going to be subtly different from what it would have been in fifth edition. It'll be subtly less numerical. It will have it'll subtly have the players making more eye contact 
uh, with the DM and therefore it's more of a social um, type of interaction, you know, where your friends talking to friends rather than friends looking at character sheets. Right. It'll subtly have more of a sense of achievement because you know, uh, just in the, because you know that, you know, that, the risk level that you were taking on had to do with your decisions about where to go and that it's not being nerfed because there is a particular because you are a particular character level and therefore you are coming up against monsters that have a particular okay it's it's all very very subtle but when it all adds up um you get you you get a gaming experience that is quite different yeah and but, I, but it's really hard watching it to put to put your finger on it and say aha there's a difference happening right there in the in in between these two simulcasts of two different games of the same encounters you know being run one in fifth edition one in zero it would be very hard to put your finger on it but you would perceive right. two very different shows yeah, one of the things you said you, that you were, you said that you're going to emphasize in this new primer the idea that uh, lethality and danger is tied to place, not character. I, I often say that because uh, what I will say is, uh, in an old school game, well, first I'll say in a modern game, uh, a dragon is there as part of a uh, truly a string of choices related to who your what your character is. So, like at certain points. You need to use healing word. You need to know to do certain things. You need to maneuver your armor class. Uh, not to say that you don't do that entirely in an old school game, but in, in a new school game, you need to uh, do a, a pattern of, of math and things related mechanically to it that's going to lead you up to a dragon eventually. But in an old school game, what I love about it is that dragon is there. It's there at level one. It's there at level 10. Doesn't matter, it's there. So if you go there at level 1, it's going to be there. If you go there at level 10, it's going to be there. And what that produces for me as a, a player, because I love playing in old school games. I probably like playing in them more than I like running them. Uh, not that I, and I love running them too. But uh, for me as a player, what it feels like is I really can choose. I can choose. Like I can, you know, with, with everybody else at the table... We can decide if we want to take that risk or not and how, how we want to approach things. And that's really thrilling to me. Yeah, I mean, that, the, the, the player agency issue, which is, you know, a term that's come up, you know, over the, uh, more over the last 10 years in discussions about RPGs, you know, the, the, the way that player agency works is, is, is different um, in the two games. And, you know, I would argue that when it comes to what are our characters going to do, you've got somewhat more player agency in the old school game than you do in the uh, more modern style as well yeah yeah i love that and um the minimalism and everything it's it's brought us a lot of joy and a lot of fun um like i said every every week we uh we've played about 60 sessions as one group of swords and wizardry using rapanothic yeah we we just have so much fun it's and that world has had about 60 players come and go over two and a half years and uh and it feels like a uh, a secondary fictional world that sometimes we just go into and it's honest and what we do in it, uh, it, it it's up to us what we decide to do in it uh, so it's it's been a lot of fun but um, okay so I'm very excited to hear about this uh, this update to the primer and also uh, so these books um, you said that there, there, there'd be a uh, supplemental rule book and a monster book that, and that's for swords and wizardry yeah it's 
for Swords and Wizard is just for the for the group of people that uh, that do want to have more character options. I mean, there's two groups of players, you know. I think with original D and D is there's the group that like the very archetypal, uh, you know, very limited group of character class. But there's a bunch of other people who like to have you know new interesting character classes. So, uh, you know, there are new character classes. There's a, a lot of discussion about um, uh, you know various house rule. Uh, type of options, sort of the same way that the initiative system has got several different options in Swords and Wizardry, um, and uh, you know, new magic items and so on and so forth uh, in the supplemental book. And then uh, for the monsters, you know, it's a monster book. So, well, I'm I'm very excited about all of all of that and uh, the primer or the the update to the primer, um, and and I really appreciate you talking about this. This is kind of a living discussion because. There are people as we speak coming into our play club saying, "All right, what do I do?" And they and they want to play these games. Uh, we might be bringing another person on, uh, which I, I hope would be like a brand new player that wants to learn in our swords and wizardry game. So uh, this is an important important discussion for us. Um, thanks again, Matt. If people want to find you and Susie and Mythmere, uh, where would they where would they go? Where uh, where would they find your products? Uh, MythmereGames.com is our website. Uh, we do have a Facebook page, and Swords and Wizardry uh, has a Facebook group called the Official Swords and Wizardry uh, Group. Um, so that's that's probably the, the best places. We have a, probably signing up for the newsletter at MythmereGames.com is probably the easiest way uh, to get reliably in touch with us. Oh, that's awesome. So the newsletter is a direct email kind of thing, an email list yes. kind of. Oh, that's that's fantastic. Good. Yeah, I will put that uh, link in the in the description. And Matt, thank you so much for coming and talking to us about this. Oh, thank you for having me on the show. It's been fun. Mythic Mountains RPG is a private online play club that focuses on folk RPGs. Folk RPGs are the games that belong to all of us. They're what actually happens at a table between friends. It's their voice that has the authority on what is fun and what works for them. Weekly, we upload our games to allow others to sit in with us. The channel isn't monetized. We don't own the artwork, music, software, or games shown in these actual plays, and you can find links to their authors in the description. Like, subscribe, and share if you wish, or don't. Just like games in person, you're welcome to pull up a chair, set in, and watch some of our games. No performances, no fancy equipment, just regular people playing folk, pencil and paper role-playing games, and having a good time. We hope these games will prove a source of enjoyment to anyone just wanting to listen in, anyone looking for examples of how actual groups run and play folk RPGs, and most importantly, if you haven't found your group yet, you're welcome here at ours.